presented in homage to Liz Rhodes' pioneering optical sound and film installation, Light Music. Liquid Architecture presented a series of live experimental sound and cinema performances at ACME on Saturday, October 15th. Rhodes' film set out to counter not only the enduring hegemony of narrative cinema, but also male domination within the avant-garde at the time. It was a call for feminist filmmaking aesthetics, embracing both the abstraction and collective sociality of light, shadow and smoke. You're listening to the Liquid Architecture podcast. Today, Sally Golding talks through her work, Intraprotocol, the techniques of expanding cinema in space and media, and the community experiment in giving agency over to the audience. Intraprotocol is an installation performance which occupies and enlivens the audiovisual systems of the cinema. Manipulating the elements of projection, speaker arrays, and lighting rigs as a form of experimental audiovisual composition, Golding thinks through the cinema as a constructed environment that shapes and conditions our behaviours and responses. Hi, I'm Sally Golding. I make audiovisual artworks across installation and performance, especially across participatory and ephemeral platforms. My work for Liquid Architecture Times Light will be a performance that uses overlapping compositions across the screen and cinema auditorium, uh, across lighting and auditorium, and also distributed to people's personal mobile phone devices. The work is made in collaboration with an artist, electronic musician, and creative technologist, Spatial, Matt Spenlov, and the work will be live and ephemeral. Performances are very intangible. The elements I work with, such as camera flashlights and amplified light and projection and flicker and strobe lights, they become like a set of gestures that I rely on that I've learned through performing for so many years. I can perform in a certain gestural way that will bring about an interaction with light and sound. But the work is always very much a challenge to conceive of because it's so abstract. It's almost like there's nothing there. Uh, There's certainly no images. There's absolutely no narrative. But in a sense, perhaps maybe there is a kind of storyline or trajectory because bringing together light and sound, camera flashlights and amplified light and the noise of sound systems into a performance culture kind of brings about like a sense of a journey as you go about these uh, sensory and sensation-driven kind of experiences of light. It's more like um, trying to imagine a performance if you took away the elements of the cinema and were left with just the experience of what cinema feels like or what light and sound feels like. 
And I think it's always a challenge to try to describe and articulate and certainly to document these kind of performances. But it's also a challenge to conceive of them and make them. They're so reliant on what people's experiences might be. So in in many ways, you're sort of building up a kind of set of potential experiences for the audience at any one time and using gesture to, to bring them about and to make them live and interactive. The performance includes an element of the work which is sent to people's mobile phones. This is a kind of composition or score or performance gesture to move part of the performance and to put it in literally in the hands of the audience. And it's a bit of a um, both formal and community experiment to see how people might interact. I mean, it could bring about a sense of fun or surprise, or it could disturb or upset people to have that work on their phone because it's surprising. The mobile phones become a distributed synthesizer. So each person's phone would load a randomly different organized set of sine waves and also color fields that are flickering color. So each device becomes part of a distributed networked system, which is part of the performance. So in a space where there could be hundreds of people who have uh, the content on their phones, they might interact with it or they might uh, feel surprised by it. But it's an experiment to bring the cinema into the hands of the audience. And I think that's just really a, a sort of also fun and playful idea around some of the kind of culture and context of people using mobile phones so prolifically when they come to the cinema, perhaps people are still texting or still have phones in their hands. And also really in a very broad sense that the cinema now could be thought of as being networked and distributed, streamed. Cinema is so uh, fractitious and fragmented. It's not just about the experience on the screen and also even, you know, cinema today is even uh, made by groups of filmmakers or you know funded by the audience so it's a very fragmentary abstract way to play with these concepts Given the last few years and the lack of performance opportunities during the pandemic, my last few works during the last few years included a performance and also joint radio broadcast at Contemporary Art Glasgow, and that was for Radiophrenia, and that was a performance using devices such as laboratory strobe lights and film projection and digital projection and voice to light devices. And it was broadcast as a sonic piece as well as a very visceral and very sort of bodily audiovisual piece in the auditorium of CCA. Another previous work would have been in a very similar context at a live music venue, Cafe Otto in London, very well known for improvised music and very much a community atmosphere. So I think the lack of those performance opportunities in the last few years are really interesting to come back to and review. Previously, in 2015, I performed uh, in collaboration also with Spatial Matt Love in a gallery, Grey Gardens, for Melbourne International Film Festival. That was a special commission for MIF, and that piece invited the audience to inhabit the gallery space as part of the artwork. So that kind of performance took people through 
optical sound, film projections, hanging screens, light projections, and the uh, ability for the audience to walk through the space and see these kind of eerie, kind of ghost-like shadows uh, of themselves projected back onto those screens as they cross through the performance space. For me, the audience is a very big part of my performances. So I refer to terms like participation and participatory and ephemeral and liveness. And I think these terms obviously can be quite um, sticky. You might question, well, how participatory is it being in the audience? But for me, I think that concept really relates to thinking of the areas in psychology of sensation and perception and how everybody's experience is so different and so unique. So when I'm performing, I'm using a lot of devices, gestures and notifs, tricks and tropes even across audiovisual performance. And I'm really thinking about maybe how somebody could perceive that light and sound and really playing the devices in ways that are very sort of obtuse and in different combinations so that maybe people do have a different experience. Maybe people have conversations after the show, such as um, they weren't sure, they saw and heard and everyone's experiences and ideas and conversations afterward can be very different. And I think that's really interesting. That for me is where that sense of liveness and participation lies. It's really getting to know the devices of a performance context. So your sound system, your PA system, your projection devices that might be available, including every Think from torches and camera flashes and strobe lights to projectors and knowing how people might um, feel when they inhabit that space and the different kind of experiences that could be drawn together out of all these abstract elements. My work is really relying on optics and sonics, um, auditory and visual experiences that are very perception-based and sensation-based. There's not really any narrative. Uh, there's not really any imagery. Sounds and lights are indistinct. So in this sense, you start to sort of map the performance in your mind potentially as an audience. And I think when I'm performing, I think about all these gestures and effects that might come about. And really it's about sort of situating the performance in a very ephemeral and um, temporary space. I love the idea of the cinema and responding to the cinema um, as it's definitely a very challenging environment to work in for an audiovisual performance, especially if you want to unlock a sense of community or participation or to even respond to the beautifully rich histories of expanded cinema uh, and media art and media communication culture where artists even back from early days of uh, maybe proto-cinema and early experimental cinema in the 20s sought to start to unlock those industrial film sound systems that we think of as being in the cinema today those systems were always fixed created by enterprises and companies to be able to play back your uh, sound and vision in a formulaic way. So early on, uh, early film artists sought to create and play with devices such as optical sound or visual music and threading through to the beautiful sort of histories that came out of expanded cinema, which 
touched into communities such as happenings and light shows, movie drones, and uh, recomposing cinema in a white cube context, bring it into a contemporary art context. I think all these things with cinema and using the cinema as a venue seek to unlock these systems that are very fixed. So especially today, more than ever, the cinema would typically rely on the playback of it, a DCP to a Dolby 5.1 sound system. So I think it's quite fun to challenge that, to sort of try to unlock those components by bringing in liveness, uh, by bringing in this sort of sense of distributed and networked cinema, um, sending components of the performance work to people's phones, um, sort of trying to break the paradigm, responding to how people might feel or interact when they come and sit in those very fixed seats, facing forward, facing this big monumental screen. So in a way, occupying the screen with light and occupying and tweaking the sound system with unusual sounds that might be usually submerged but are brought to the fore or sending that um, image to people's phones so they can interact and in some ways participate or, or guess at what their role might be in the performance. I think this is a, a nice way to think about the cinema and to think about unlocking systems and to think about those beautiful histories of expanded cinema. And that's kind of where the work is situated. It's a bit of a challenge to working in a fixed environment more and more a sense of collaboration has become really important and critical to my work. So my current work, uh, I'm working with Spatial, Matt Spenlove, and also another creative technologist, Tim Collishaw, and we're creating work together in a sense of getting to explore, uh, basing the work on an R&D kind of way where we're able to play with sensation and perception and concepts, but in a a critical technology environment, such as to make a new piece for the Museum of Moving Image in New York. And previously, some of my collaborations involved work with Joel Stern as abject leader. And these were kind of pieces would come together in a very kind of punk and sound art context to film and light and music and even concrete poetry and sound art. And also, I guess, um, working as a curator in these contexts for so many years now with Joel Stern and Danny Savala as other film based in Australia, which was a forum for expanded cinema, experimental film. So I think that sense of collaboration with artists, musicians, technologists, curators and audience has become really central to unpicking these concepts and ideas that really drive my interest in expanded cinema. Expanded cinema is actually very typically historically and also very much in a contemporary sense, very difficult to describe. In essence, it has a rich history which threads through everything. Some scholars 
such as American scholar Jonathan Wally, might also argue that cinema, expanded cinema, even relates back and harks back to early uh, cave paintings. And um, there's a beautiful expanded cinema map and diagram made by American artist George Machunas in the 1960s. And that really sought to try to funnel in all the influences and tangible possibilities of expanded cinema, such as happenings, theatre, light shows, intermedia, fluxus. So I think actually it's a very chewy question what expanded cinema could be because ultimately it's about breaking apart that paradigm of expectations around cinema. Rather than the cinematic, it's really about the experience of an audience in the mix of these potentials, which include projection, seating, beam, screen. So there's been so many approaches to making cinema a formal score, such as works by Tony Conrad, who seek to throw items at the screen as a sense of projection, or Annabelle Nickerson of the 1970s Filmmakers Co-op, who swept the screen in feminist gestures. Uh, and of course, Liz Rhodes, who made a very seminal work, Light Music, currently shown at at Acme as part of the show, which sought to diametrically oppose two 60mm projectors with haze in the room to create a very sort of uh, tangible sculptural beams as people are able to navigate the space of optical sound represented as a visual. And even finally, the works again, historically in a contemporary sense, of Anthony McCall, who used long-form light projections and the light beam as sculpture. And in a contemporary sense, many artists approach expanded cinema in so many nebulous ways. It might be an audiovisual experiment or it could be, again, a formal gesture in the space to break up that traditional narrative of cinema. So expanded cinema is so critical to current dialogues around the hybridity of contemporary art and audiovisual culture, music, film, it's central and has really always underpinned that sort of media communication theory of the community and networked and distributed culture. Liz Rhodes' piece, Light Music, made in the 1970s, uses two 16mm projectors projecting at opposite sides of the room as the audience navigates projection beams with haze in their space and this very crunchy, brutal, stop-start sense of optical sound presented as a visual on, on the film screen. And I think um, some of the critical things that come out of the Liz Rhodes work for myself are that, you know, the room is recomposed. The audience will enter this room and feel surprised about what their role might be in it or how they might be able to take in the work or to hear and see everything. And I think that sense of an unfixed space or an unexpected context is really critical to expanded cinema and to that particular Liz Rhodes work. And also, I think to my own work, it's very much about upending expectations. I think it's good to play with uh, the sense of surprise and expectation. Um, and also, I think importantly, Liz Rhodes identifies with a feminist context of film culture, experimental film and expanded cinema. She was a fundamental member of the London Filmmakers Co-op. And I think a, a lot of her work challenged the sense that um, traditionally we might think of that film industry as being male-led and even those materials in which um, light and sound are described would be thought of as almost being 
a male context to create and challenge this work. So I think it's a very feminist idea to want to foreground technology in a way that feels more authentic to yeah, maybe even a female voice or a female experience. And for me, it's a sort of device I use myself because for me, it's very much about being hands-on with the technology and bringing my own voice, literally as spoken word or as sound captures to the screen and to the sound systems, really inhabiting a cinema audiovisual system with my body and sense of taking up that space and occupying those systems. So I think there is a very interesting lineage with Liz Rhodes' work and the expanded cinema context in feminist experimental filmmaking and also very much they contemporary approaches to a lot of the amazing female identifying artists working in sound culture today. Intraprotocol was presented for Liquid Architecture Times Light at ACME on Saturday, October 15th. You can find more information at the link in our show notes. This podcast was produced by Mara Schwertfeger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognise that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. You can support our podcast and online journal Disclaimer through a Patreon subscription for as little as $5 a month. Find the link in our show notes.